Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapters 3 through 5. Hello, Balrog. Goodbye, Gandalf. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Hey, Ryan. Hey, uh, welcome to Moria. Thank you. It's it's a little dark in here. Indeed. Well, okay. I Let me correct. Uh, before we go to Moria, let's take most of a chapter, what do you say, to climb a mountain and then backtrack back to where we just started. Exactly. I thought that was just a beautiful, <laughs> perfect uh, you know, example of... Writing me into a different position and then saying, hey, whatever, I don't like that. We're going to try something else. Well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that, I think. Um, so we do get to Moria eventually. And while we're in Moria, of course, we're going to wrap up everybody's favorite cliffhanger from The Hobbit. Whatever happened to that old Balin guy? Right. It's. I know you were on the edge of your seat. You know, now I we was, get some answers. I was suffering from some serious insomnia wondering what happened to Balin. I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> but after that, we will uh, say our fond farewells to Gandalf the Grey. I know. It's like when, Dumb well, spoiler alert, Dumbledore <laughs> dies. <laughs> you know, if you don't know that by now, it's a very sad moment to see the wizened old wizard just be whisked away. That was an awesome alliteration. I'm very proud of myself for it. You can't take it away from me. If uh, if anybody listening could see how much Ryan is smiling right now, you would, uh, well, you'd be smiling too. Let's just put it that way. Um, all right. Well, before we get to all that stuff, let's play Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. All right. Here we go. Ryan, question number one. Oh. Okay, question number one. What are the names of Elrond's two sons? Uh, their names, well, I don't remember their given names. I'm pretty sure he called them Little Slugger and, and, and Chewie. <laughs> Wrong. Narsil, the sword of Elendil, is reforged for Aragorn, who gives it a new name. Name that name. Uh, it's, it used to be Narsil, and... Now it is Flame of the West. What is the word? Ooh, I'll give you a half point for that. Um, Ellen Deal? No. That's that's the guy who originally that's the, wielded that's who had it. it. I should know this. I know this one. All right, we'll, we'll come move back. on. Dang it. Um, do you want me to tell you? Uh, yeah. Anduril. Anduril. Flame of the West. All right. What do we call the big crows that spy on the company during their march south? Uh, I'll give you a hint. Oh, you, you're giving yourself a hint. A hint. I, I can't remember. It's like the Krembril or, you know. Legolas tells us in the movie if that helps you at all. It doesn't. I okay. remember the scene, but I don't remember. The... Krebine. Krebine, that's what it is. I remember it started with a C. Out of Fengorn and Dunland. Um, what is the elvish word for friend? I'm probably going to say this with the wrong inflection and, you know, insult someone's mother. Uh, I'm going to say Melon. Yes, it's uh, put it on the first syllable, and then you're good to go. Melon. melon. I could have said melon. That <laughs> I would have accepted that. All right, so that I'll give you a point for this. What is the Orcish word for fire? 
gosh. Yes, very good. I did not think you were going to get that in a million years. Close enough. It would be Maybe gosh. I was just going, gosh, I didn't know. But yes, I'll take it, gosh. <laughs> uh, during the very quick confrontation with the Watcher in the water, who was grabbed? Uh, Frodo. Correct. Uh, let's see, that's three. Sam, ever the practical one, nevertheless forgets to pack one item for their journey. What was it? Rope. Correct. Moria is actually an elvish name. What do the dwarves call it? I would... Uh, the only thing I can think of that was referred to in Moria that might be considered uh, would be Khazad-dûm. Correct. Khazad-dûm. Khazad-dûm. Whatever. It was one of the dwarves from Thorin's company, from Bilbo's adventure, that went on an ill-fated quest to reclaim Moria. Which dwarf was it? We just said it. It was Balin... Uh, Balin, son of Fundin, lord of Moria. Hey, nice! That's actually exactly what I had written down, word for word. All right. Uh, when Frodo gets attacked, again, by the orc chieftain, the spear gets broken by somebody coming to Frodo's aid. Who was it? Sam. Yes. Like always. What is Aragorn's battle cry? Here I come! <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I, I know this. Uh, I... Because when Gandalf's about to go over the be attacked, he he goes, "I am with you, uh, Elendil." Yes, very nice. Wow, good memory. All right, and, uh, dun, 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 <laughs> victory dance for Elendil. <laughs> All right, seven out of ten. Uh, yeah, good job. Um, I was not expecting you to get that many. So uh, let's let's move on to the challenger. Uh, this week it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be joined in studio. So we have Nick with us. Nick, hello. Introduce yourself for us. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Ryan's brother-in-law. Oh, wow. All right. So that explains how we got you in studio. That's right. Yes. These I are the followed secrets my wife of radio here. people. Um, all right. Well, good. Nick, uh, tell us a little bit about your background with Lord of the Rings, why you feel yourself to be a worthy challenger for Ryan this week. I never felt like I was a worthy challenger, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I have listened to the book, the books on uh, Audible, and uh, which is something that not a lot of people could probably claim. I bet yeah. that uh, I bet that most people give up on that faster than they do on actually reading the book. I, I actually tried to read the book when I went to BYU and got halfway through, and I don't remember much from it, but I remember a lot more from listening to it. So. Nice, yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. You know, I I listened to uh, the not these chapters, but I, I listened ahead a little bit. Sorry. Um, and on the audible, mm -hmm. uh, on my audible account, I listened to a little bit of the next chapter and it's, it's a different experience having yeah. somebody read it to you. I just need to know sure. if we need to send a bill to audible for this promotional. Well, we should. Time period. I know, right? <laughs> they, they've got plenty. They can throw us a couple hundreds. If they need to. They'll, they'll be our next sponsor. I'm sure. Uh, well, good. Um, so you've got a little background with it. I, I take it then that you don't consider yourself a Tolkienologist. No. All right. No, well, that's good least. because we've had a couple people on already who, who really were, they were yeah. very good. Yeah. They, they just left me in the dust on the trivia sections. <laughs> I, it was bad. So, all right. Well, good. Um, that I'm assuming you've seen the movies as well. Yes. All right. So, yes. you know, with that combined knowledge, I'm assuming you'll do fairly well with this one. Um, I don't expect you to get every one of them, though. So are you ready to, pl to play, Chris, yes. Lord of the Rings trivia? Yes. Good. Here we go. Question number one. What are the names of Elrond's two sons? Oh, my heck. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't know, just pass. I I don't know. Ah, that's pass. fine. I wouldn't expect you to. All right. Narsil, the sword of Elendil, 
is reforged for Aragorn, who gives it a new name. Name that name. It is Anduriel, Flame of the West. Oh, I should have known that. Did you already give the names of the, the guys? Uh, no, I, I can tell you. It yeah, is, tell they me. are Eladan and Elrohir. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, don't you remember that? They, you, no. That one you probably <laughs> wouldn't get from the movies. <laughs> um, this one you might, though. What do we call the big crows that spy on the company during their march south? The big crows? Yeah. You remember that flock of birds? I do remember. Yeah. I remember them thinking that they were spies, but I don't remember what they called the they crows. They are. Crebine out of out of Dunland, Fangorn and Dunland. Don't oh. feel too bad. I hadn't gotten any of these I, right either. <laughs> Goodness gracious! This is where Ryan started. Would you it have been able to answer these had somebody asked you? I, you know, yes. Not because I'm smart though, just because I've spent way too much time on this. Um, all right, what is the Elvish word for friend? I have no idea. Gandalf uses it to open the door to the mines of Moria. Yeah, I. I don't Melon. Know. Wow, I thought I was studying the right stuff. Apparently, uh, then you probably don't know the Orcish word for fire. No. All right, it is gosh. I just said I said it like twelve times. <laughs> During the very quick confrontation with the Watcher in the water, who is grabbed? Uh, Frodo. Good job. All right, that is correct. Uh, on the board, Sam, ever the practical one, forgets to pack one item for their journey. What was it? Um. A <laughs> I don't want to know what you're trying to <laughs> a rope. <laughs> Correct. Nice. Alright, a rope. That's number two. Uh Moria is an elvish name. What do the dwarves call it? Kazadum. Yes. Very nice. It was one of the dwarves from Thorin's company, uh, from Bilbo's adventure in the Hobbit, mm -hmm. that went on an ill fated quest to reclaim Moria. Which dwarf was that? Balin. Correct. When Frodo gets attacked again by the orc chieftain, the spear gets broken by someone coming to Frodo's aid. Who was that? Um, was, what? Anna, stop giving me hints. <laughs> um, I was going to say Boromir, but apparently that is not correct. Sam. It is Sam. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. <laughs> that is correct. No more giving me hints, Anna. <laughs> what is Aragorn's battle cry? What is his battle cry? Yes. Let's see if pantomime that in turn. <laughs> oh, jeez. I have no idea. It is Elendil. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. But uh, what'd you get? Like three or four? I think I got two. I, I don't know. I, I know you got, got at least Kaza three. Doom, you got, got... Kaza Doom, you got Frodo, you got Rope, you got Balin. That's four. Oh, okay. Sam, if we count the cheating. <laughs> so that would be five. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, I gotta tell everybody listening, we did not give Nick a heads up that he was going to be doing this. We just threw him in front of Mike in front of a mic and said, have at it. So I'm impressed. Getting Excellent work. These are not, these are not easy questions for the newcomers. Believe me, I've hit like, <laughs> well, I've had what, six trivia things now, five trivia things. I, I, I trip out on every one of them. It's all good. Well, now I feel like I need to come back and I'll actually study without my wife here. There you go. Giving me answers. Um, well, Nick, I do have one other question for you that's not a trivia question uh, that I like to ask to everybody who comes on. The The Lord of the Rings uh, obviously is very popular, but there are, there are lots of things that are very popular. This has been popular for, what, 60 years, 65 years. Why is that? Why, in your opinion, is this uh, such an enduring work? What is it that makes you enjoy it? What is it that you think uh, makes others enjoy it so much? Um, 
I like fantasy in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons. I think uh, a lot of people like it because it uh, kind of gives a the classic battle between good and evil, and uh, and shows how good prevails and and how uh, I don't know how uh, through small and simple acts great things can come can come to pass. I feel like I'm quoting scripture right now, but I, I think <laughs> I think it. Uh, hey, on this podcast, you are. Yeah, you might. Yeah. <laughs> if you read out of Lord of the Rings, right? right? And uh, I, I think just the general adventure of it is fun and exciting, and and that's why I, I, I go you back know, to I'm it, so. I'm glad you said that. Uh, nobody said that yet, to my knowledge. Um, nobody that I've asked that question to. It's uh, there are a lot of things that go into this, a lot of philosophy, a lot of religion, a lot of uh, Tolkien's personal beliefs um, on how the world works, and and these are all very instructive, and they're a lot of fun to look into and and compare to your own personal life. But then when you get down to it, man, this is a really good story, right? Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's a lot of fun. It's, um, it's very interesting. I, I think that, you know, this gives me a, a, an idea. I'm sure some college student has written their thesis about the Lord of the Rings is an onion or, or a seven-layer dip or something like that, where there is a layer in Lord of the Rings for everybody who's coming to it. I'm learning that as, as I read through it. You know, for the newcomer, there's an adventure. There's there's a very basic story here to follow. For those who are coming back after their second or third time reading or, or, you know, seventh or eighth or whatever, there's some depth and you can look into a little bit more. You might be able to, you might pick up a little more depth to what is in that story. So there's something there for everyone, a different layer for each time you come to it. And if you want to go back to the first layer of just there's a good story, a good experience, I think that exa- I think that's very, very much possible here. Yeah, I, absolutely valid point. In fact... This is probably the 12th or 15th time I've read it. I mean, I've read it a lot. But on this read-through with you, Ryan, I'm going nice and slow, uh, and it's letting me see a lot of the things that I think I missed before. Um, And, you know, we'll get to a few of those things uh, with these chapters in particular. But, um, you know, Nick... Excellent thought, and uh, and we appreciate you being a good sport and coming on. And uh, <laughs> we'll we'll give you some warning next time. We'll bring you back for Two Towers or Return of the King or something, and, and we'll we'll give you another shot to uh, wipe the floor with Ryan. Yeah, I will. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, thanks, Nick. Cool. Thank you. So pretty refreshing, I think, uh, to get somebody on who you know who hasn't been spending years of their life studying this right yeah going you know having a chance to do some trivia against someone who you know can't quote the silmarillion from memory (laughs) is kind of nice every now and then indeed indeed well yeah you you got a nice break today but uh i don't imagine that will last uh well let's let's go on you know on this one i don't imagine that uh, this section is going to take a long time i don't have a ton to say uh, on this how about you uh, I've got a couple things. I, I really actually quite enjoyed this section, um, for a couple reasons, but we'll, I'm sure we'll kind of go over. Well, you know, one thing is, uh, we were just talking about how it's at, at its core, it's a rip roaring good tale. And yeah. this is a fun section of it. Um, there is so much more for, you know, for, in the, from a newcomer's perspective and from someone who, for the most part, uh, admittedly, a lot of this, the movie plays in my head at different moments as I'm mm-hmm. reading. There comes moments where in Moria or in a couple other places where, you know, this isn't in the movie. You've got to come up with it yourself. And, you know, or it's different enough. There's a lot more that goes on in Moria than we get a chance to, to see in the films or anything mm-hmm. like that. So it was kind of nice to, to go through and go, wait a minute. 
now I have to rewrite this and think this through in my head a little bit more. I can't just, you know, autopilot and cruise yeah, control any yeah. of the movie stuff in my head. So I think one of my favorite uh my favorite scenes in this section is the book of Mazarbul. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know, we do see that in the film, but it, you, we get a, a much more extended look at it in the book and and it uh it, you know, feels somehow cooler when mm-hmm. i'm reading it uh, you know they go into a little more detail and, and you get to kind of uh put yourselves uh put yourself in the in the shoes of those dwarves who are trapped and it's it's somehow a little bit more intense and more scary i think in the book yeah i'd uh, agree with that maybe i'm wrong but apparently i'm not because if ryan agrees then we're good to go um yeah that's not a safe bet <laughs> <laughs> well uh, let's do our uh let's do our quick fire uh we have our nice round 12 uh points that we want to go through right for uh, the elven no, numeric system <laughs> rock paper scissors see who goes first rock paper scissors uh, <laughs> rock paper paper <laughs> 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 apparently this is not a good way to do this write this down uh okay. dang it <laughs> <laughs> yes all right, scissors beats paper, sucker. So right. I'll go first. Um, number one, uh, I really love the sentiment of Gandalf saying that we should trust to friendship rather than great wisdom. He's arguing with Elrond about who should go on the journey. Elrond wa- wants to send. Uh, he wants to send Glorfindel, uh, who I've named Glorfindel the badass. He'd be quite the companion. The guy's riding down Black Riders, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but. But uh, Gandalf is uh, more along the lines of, you know, we really ought to send Merry and Pippin. They want to go, and friendship is going to be a better weapon here against the enemy than, you know, some mighty elf lord. I really like this, and I think we'll we'll see this come into play a lot as the uh, as the saga progresses. I agree. Uh, my first point, I actually, it's it's a sentiment expressed by Bilbo when he's talking to Frodo. Um, he asks Frodo. Uh, do you have an idea uh, how how your story ends, or, or or what do you expect? And Frodo tells him that you know all I can see is darkness. All I can see is that you know this this isn't going to end well. And Bilbo stops him and says, "Well, that just won't do. Books should have a happy ending. Books should have good endings." Is what is what it says. Books ought to have good endings. And I thought that was an interesting sentiment. Uh, if nothing else, it's uh, you know that sort of believe motivational poster you put up on your wall. Uh, for Frodo here, where it's like, you know, books ought to have good endings, and your story should have one too. So don't give up yet. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Uh, it's a very non-intentional way of uh, maybe giving Frodo a little bit of hope yeah. um, that we can look at there. And maybe it's maybe Tolkien's here saying, you know what? Trust me, this this story will will have a a good ending here. And that's something that we'll get into. I think uh, maybe not in this cast, but in later casts, a good ending and a true ending. And are they the same or are they different? Uh, yeah, so we'll get into that. I like that. Um, so number three, uh, many accuse Tolkien of lacking in the poetry department. And I'm not talking about quantity. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about quality. They say that he's not a good poet uh, despite his best intentions. Um, and maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm not a poet. And so I'm not a great judge of it. But the song that Bilbo sings uh, before the departure from Rivendell I found it to be amazing. Uh, it stopped me in my tracks. I've been uh, reading all the, the poems up till now, uh, trying to refresh my memory and, and see 
if they add anything to the story again, like I said earlier, kind of taking it slow. Um, and, uh, this one, well, let me back up the other ones that I've read through up to this point. Most of them were pretty throwaway and I get to the end of it and I think, uh, whatever, um, I can move on now with the rest of the story. This one made me stop. It's, I, I found it to be very beautiful, uh, very touching. Um, and it's, uh, I, I think it's Tolkien writing about his old friends. Uh, he had three friends back in high school, the equivalent of high school, and they formed their own grandly named uh, Tea Club and Barovian Society. And there were these four friends who loved poetry and literature and all this stuff and, uh, you know, the ultimate proto-nerds, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, a couple of them died during World War II and, and two of them came back. Um, and uh, Tolkien and, and the one that came back, they were never quite the same after the war. And... I, I really kind of felt the emotion that this older man, he's getting on in his years as Tolkien is writing this. I, I felt the emotion with which he misses his friends. He uh, is looking back on the past with some regret, but to the future with some hope. Um, and there's a good healthy amount of, of um, dare I say, despair, not despair, but, um, but it, it's it's somewhat dark. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but I, I found it to be very beautiful. I won't quote the whole thing now, but uh, if anybody listening to this skipped over that, go back and reread it from the point of view of, uh, of a you know 60-year-old or, or whatever man who is looking back on his life. It's, uh, it's quite good. Huh. I've actually been approaching a little bit the idea of the poems and the music. Uh, I admittedly went a little bit deeper and, and delved into some uh, deeper Tolkien discussions uh, on the internet. So, you know, I know they're true. And Indeed. Obviously. And he talks about how a lot of what was created was created from a song, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, as I look at these, the different poems and the music and things like you're talking about there, this is the force of creation. It, that is showcasing itself in the work there. You know, this is what created everything. So that's why it's creation in its purest form here. So mm. I'm trying to show a little more respect for the poems and things like that. It, so. A side note, isn't it interesting? Uh, the thought just occurred to me. Uh, Tolkien is not a musician. And yet if we ever go back and, and the two of us read the Silmarillion, you'll find that music is creation. Like you just mentioned, the whole creation myth revolves around a song that is sung in heaven. Or not sung, but played or created, whatever. Um, and and he's not a musician. Hmm. Anyway, okay, back to back into Moria. Um, my my second point is actually a question: Is there a reason why it has to be nine people that go? I do not recall him saying it should only be nine because of this. You know, one more and we'll have you know one more and we have to pay extra. You know, the gratuities <laughs> added on when we eat at the restaurants or something. You know, is there a reason for nine members of the of the fellowship? There are possible reasons um for one thing it creates nice symmetry you know like like elrond says the nine walkers versus the nine riders um and then for another thing yeah somebody is probably going to send me a nasty email about this but i seem to remember reading somewhere that nine is the elvish number for luck huh. lucky number nine okay so i you know i don't have a source on that but maybe we'll run into it at some point my uh yeah my my only thought came was like well 
At least it's an odd number, so if there's an argument, they can <laughs> figure it out that way. But Yeah, I'm pretty sure Gandalf would win that argument. Um, all right. Uh, my next point, uh, Tom Shippey is one of my favorite Tolkien scholars. He wrote a couple books that I recommend everybody go read. One of them is called Author of the Century, J.R.R. Tolkien, Author of the Century. The other is called The Road to Middle-Earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and they are wonderful books uh, that really give you a lot of insight to the process that Tolkien went through as he's writing these. Um, and, and he points out a lot of fun little things that I am sure that I would have missed otherwise. For instance, when Bilbo, did you notice when Bilbo gives Sting to Frodo, he first thrusts it into a wooden beam and Frodo must draw Sting out uh, in order to claim it as his own. It's very Arthurian. Yeah, I didn't, um, didn't catch that. I just thought someone was going to be mad that there's now a hole in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so little things like that that he points out. Um, so I won't uh, go into any anything else right now, but uh, I might bring him up in the future. Uh, definitely recommended reading for anybody who enjoyed these books. Okay. We'll send him a bill for some promotion too. Uh, number three for me is I want to know if... there's a, That's a whole lot of hullabaloo over rope sam's like i'm gonna forget rope <laughs> so i'm sitting here thinking is there for is this foreshadowing is rope going to play a major role later on they were like oh well if sam had had his rope then you know frodo wouldn't have you know had to use the ring here or and all the orcs in mordor were found guilty and were hanged exactly you know it i i want to know what's what is the need what's the reason for the rope and why why is there so much fuss made about bringing rope right well uh now, I know the answer to this, but tell me anyway. Are you a very outdoorsy person? Do you love camping and hiking? I uh, I would have to say that I am not what most people would consider an outdoorsy, hikey type person. <laughs> hikey type. All right, that's good. Um, well, it could be that rope will play a, a much bigger role here. But on the other hand, I think anybody who's spent a lot of time outdoors knows that it's among the more useful things on the planet. Okay. So I grant that maybe it's just, maybe it's just that we'll find out. Um, okay. So my next point, maybe the most rounded or well illustrated character in the book so far is Sam. And that continues uh, in this section. Um, I really enjoy, <laughs> there was one section I really enjoyed that as righteous as Sam is, and we all know he's a super good guy. Uh, he's not perfect. So the the part that I loved was when uh, he's packing. We were talking about all the stuff that Sam's packing, and he finds a bunch of stuff that Frodo forgot, and uh, and packs it in secret just so he can bring it out later in triumph. Like, <laughs> ah, look at this! And so it's you know it's a nice little nod to the vanity of Sam. He needs the validation of of Frodo or whoever else, um, and you know it's it's those nice little character tidbits that Tolkien throws in there that. Uh, that gives his uh, his characters those three dimensions that authors seek. It's true. I hadn't really thought about it as the vanity. I just kind of thought, oh, there's there's Sam just showing his de devotion and everything. But the fact that he does want to, the reason he's doing it is so that he can come out and be like, ha! I knew you wouldn't remember this. <laughs> that's that's true. I did not catch that. Oh, and Sam's, Sam is fast becoming my favorite character in the story. Um, my next point, I was a little bit confused, and I'm going to blame the films for this. Um, when they're climbing Car Caradras? Car Caradras. Yes, that. 
uh, when they're climbing the mountain, the way that it's written and the way that they talk is that the mountain is fighting back against them. Mm, yeah. The storms are fighting back. Now, in the films, we're led to believe that it is a foul voice on the wind and we cut to Saruman and Saruman is blah, 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 and lightning strikes and then... I'm like, well, is the mountain fighting or does Tol is Tolkien just not telling us that it's Saruman fighting against it? So what's what's going on there? And the idea of having, you, I mean, you've had living forests. You've had this, the idea of the mountains fighting back themselves is a very much more appealing and magical idea to me than to have a wizard who's, you know, so many miles off just going, and I strike you with lightning, blah, blah, blah. I agree. Totally agree. It's, I, I think it's better. I don't blame Jackson on this, though, uh, because how in the world do you put that on film? You know, so it, it, you put the sequence in, but it can't be the mountain fighting back. It's got to be uh, it's got to be something recognizable. And why not make it a character that's going to continue to be a malevolent force throughout the story? So I don't I don't blame them for the change, but I do agree that uh, that in this uh, book format, it works a lot better. Okay, that 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 appeases my soul. All right, good. That's my goal. Uh, now I know that this one is is because I'm not doing enough work to understand what's being accomplished uh, on a literary level, but I've always been a bit frustrated, and we brought this up earlier. But I've always been frustrated when the Fellowship has to turn around and retreat from Carathras. Uh, so on the one hand, it's it is nice to see that not everything goes perfectly well all the time. Uh, sometimes they make a mistake or something is just too powerful for them and, and beats them. Uh, and I think it lends some bit of realism to this fantastical story. Uh, but on the other hand, I do sometimes feel like I've wasted a bunch of time because <laughs> then they turn around and you're right back where they were, uh, you know, several pages ago. Well, they, they didn't go all the way back. Remember Gandalf says he's take you know, if you realize I didn't take you all the way back, we took a different turn here. How clever you are, Gandalf. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. So I've always been frustrated. You know, on the other hand though, um, it comes to my mind though, that maybe it's all about putting me in the character's shoes. Um, they're frustrated. I'm frustrated. I, I want to get this show on the road mm -hmm. and I can't imagine that they feel much much differently so maybe i'm convincing myself i'm going to step out on a limb here and i know there's going to be a few people who will be irritated by this idea probably but i want to take this and use it as i'm not going to say symbolism um why not because i don't think it's the right word for it okay <laughs> but how many times do we if we're trying to put ourselves in the fellowship shoes if we're trying to go through this how many times do we embark on a path and we hit resistance and we're like, you know, we resistance happens everywhere. We've just got to push through. But there's also, we really want to avoid something else. We're willing to go through so much misery to avoid something that we view as worse. Because mm -hmm. that's how they feel about Moria. Moria is like the like worst, the last, the last, the last option, choice. you know, that's, that's a usable option. So how many times do we go through and we say, hey, I would rather, you know, go through this really awkward experience to avoid having to deal with this. The ultimately awkward experience. Yeah. So I, I would say that although this is very irritating as a reader to go through and be like, really, you know, the last 45 pages or whatever is <laughs> just, the, yeah. is that there, there's a lesson to be learned from it. Having to go back there. Fine. Um, I, my, my, my point here on the next, my next point here. You made a you made a comment in a previous uh, podcast about you kind of thought Tolkien was writing a joke somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Tolkien. Um, I want to know if he's cracking a joke at the door of Moria. Okay. Because seriously, the word is friend, like speak friend and enter. And so they just have to say friend in Elvish. Is that supposed to be just kind of like, oh, haha, it's kind of witty and a little humorous because it's so easy? Or is it just really a, well, I didn't want to have to make him figure out some other password. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. It could be a joke. Um, but when the door was made thousands of years previously, it was in a time when, uh, yeah, they, they wanted to be able to shut the door sometimes. But it was a peaceful time when there was a lot of commerce between the elves on the western side of the Misty Mountains and the dwarves. Right. Uh, and so it's not like they needed some super sophisticated system to keep out the constant spies that were coming in. You so know? here's a, a wrench to throw in it. It's written in Elvish, is it not? Right. So if Gandalf had just read it out loud, wouldn't the door have opened? Hmm. Because he would have had to say the word friend in Elvish. Perhaps it's the purpose with which it is said, if it's a magic word after all. I mean, yes, I'll, I'll grant I, you that, but at some point, you know... Wouldn't I'll see your wrench, and I'll raise you, well, something heavier to hit you over the head with. Yeah, so that, that, that was one of my moments. Like, so if he had just read it out loud, it would have opened, or someone walking by, uh, you know, gets it to light up and... Yeah, well, who knows, whatever. <laughs> it's, I poked uh, like a I hole said, in the impenetrable like I said it's not perfect yeah <laughs> um, alright my last point uh, we learn that Balin's company set up his throne room in the chamber of Mazarbul uh, which is the chamber of records and I really like that these dwarves who we've come to understand they love jewels they love metals all the earthy stuff they make the center of their new kingdom their conquest the records room. Uh, and in our, in our own real world, uh, when we search, think of like archeologists and whatnot, we search for traces of old civilizations and whatnot. What are we always looking for? Sure. We like finding the gold and the jewels and whatnot. We, we like finding the old weapons, uh, whatever it is that we dig up, but why do we love these things? And it's always, it always comes down to what information can this give us about the people that came before? Mm -hmm. about our ancestors, about, uh, you know, this civilization that we want to learn something from. And so, you know, even these dwarves who are, who are wealth hungry for them, it's, uh, I think this is an indication that it's not primarily about wealth. It's primarily about, uh, who am I? Where do I come from? There's this whole section of, of our race's history missing, and we need to go back and claim that. And so when they get to Moria, where's the first place they go and set up camp? The records room. Interesting. It's uh, a, a constant theme throughout all the the interaction with the, the dwarves is their love of home and having to go mm. back and, and reclaim home. Um, so keep a journal, kids. <laughs> um, okay, I like that. Um, I, I want to move into the showdown between the Balrog and Gandalf. So, first of all, I love the character of the Balrog. Um, why? Because it is so basic. It is made up of the two... Uh, kind of the two base fears, I guess I'll say. Darkness or shadow and fire and destruction. So, darkness and destruction. Like that's that's essentially... the I'll, I am a living embodiment of darkness and destruction. Nice. That's what it is. Uh, he's got a sword, he's got a whip, and he goes at it. 
Um, but there is something that happens in the showdown with the Balrog that I find very interesting and I think is, uh, I don't want to say indicative of a direction that they're going. You know, if I didn't know better, I would, I would probably be a little upset that Gandalf's gone. I'm, I would be upset. But when he fights, um, there's one final blow from the Balrog, uh, or one final, when he's, uh, he slams down his staff onto the bridge his staff breaks. Mm, yeah, that's not something we really see in the films. It's not something that really was, about, but in the in the story, there's a very it's very clear his staff breaks before he disappears. Right. So here he goes out into the darkness, and we figure he's dead. His staff is broken. There's this this symbol of his power gone. So, being that I know he's coming back, you know, is that the end of you know is is that the moment that Gandalf the Gray is gone or I don't know. It's just the breaking of the staff. It has to mean something to me. Well, I mean, I guess maybe it's uh, some sort of indication of exhaustion. Yeah, his power is broken in some way. He has enough of it uh, left to, spoiler alert, defeat the Balrog mm-hmm. uh, later on. I mean, but... What is the coolest skydiving scene in <laughs> film history? <laughs> and the fastest. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, to be honest... I don't know that there's much more to read into that. I could be wrong. Um, Probably not. I would I would like to think that there is something there with Gandalf staff breaking, yeah. but you know that's that is such a for a wizard his staff is so is such a big deal his staff or or wand or whatever to break that yeah. is essentially to break his power to break something like that in most situations. So I would have thought that that would have been there, but maybe Tolkien was just like, nah, I got to give him a new staff. If maybe, yeah, it's a good question. We'll find out. Maybe. Uh, there's a lot of maybes in this podcast, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, so let's move on then uh, to, um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about in a little more depth uh, than our quick 12 points? Uh, I know I've got at least one thing. Uh, the only thing, and we've already, the thing is we've already touched on it, is that there is, there is quite a bit more in Moria that goes on, or the story's a little bit different in Moria than what I, I have come to expect. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it is interesting for me to see the fear in the orcs of both there. There's like two times in the story that the orcs that start to appear, uh, become afraid. And the first time is when they hear them say fire and you, you know, the Balrog's yeah. thing. And the other is when Boromir blows his horn, uh, they all freeze and kind of go, what just happened here? Um, I know. Oh, and a third time when Gandalf says, "You shall not," or "You, you cannot pass." You cannot pass. You, it is not yeah. "You shall not pass." It's "You cannot pass." They they go silent at that moment too. But I don't know. I just think there's so much in Moria that people, if you haven't read the books, you know, get in and read the Moria chapter because there's some great stuff in there that's not I, being told. I agree. I like what you bring up about the orcs. Um, I won't say a ton about it right now because I want to talk about it in the next section. Because like I said, I read a little bit ahead, so I know at least one thing I want to talk about uh, on our next cast. But uh, the orcs, I think there's more to the orcs than than meets the eye. They're transformers. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know, we we talk uh, in Tolkien a lot about the simplification of good versus evil, and how you have elves which are good and orcs which are evil. But you know, the elves aren't perfect. They're not perfectly good. And there are some indications that the orcs are not perfectly bad. 
And in this case, um, they they even shy away from that perfect embodiment of evil that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And the Balrog is this embodiment of those uh, values of darkness and destruction and, and fire and whatnot. And even the orcs are kind of, you know, wary of that. So uh, it's something that I, that I definitely will bring up next time. And, and I think will come up uh, much later as well in the story. Uh, something that I want to mention, speaking of value systems, we brought up friendship earlier, uh, and that's a point that I want to uh, point out. It, this a point that I want to point out. That was fantastic. Um, it, this, especially uh, what was it, chapter three, the ring, the ring goes south. Um, feels a bit like the friendship chapter when we get to see uh, the hobbits, especially showing their friendship. We've already seen it, but now it's going to cement itself. Um, and Sam, especially in these chapters uh, and and the next, shows what friendship means to him. Um, and the reason that I feel this way uh, is twofold. There are two scenes in which Sam is the first to act. The one is the watcher in the water. Arm reaches out and grabs Frodo, and uh, everybody else is shocked. They freeze. They you know they turn around. What's going on? And who's already there hacking at this arm? Sam is. And then the same thing happens when Frodo gets uh, almost stabbed uh, in the chamber of Mazarbul. He gets hit with this spear, and then Sam is right there. And he shears off the the end of this spear um, from the Orc Chieftain and and gives some time for, uh, who was it? Aragorn, I think, to come cleave his head into two, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. Um, And... I love this indication of friendship, not just because Sam is uh, doing what he can to protect Frodo, but because he does it with no hesitation. I feel like this is an indication of somebody who not only sees uh, Frodo as as a, a master or and, and a friend, but as as somebody who is going to protect. And he's made this decision a long time ago. He's not making the decision when the time comes. Oh, Frodo just got grabbed. What am I going to do? No, he decided that when he left the Shire. Mm-hmm. Um, if if something happens to Frodo, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the first one to to take care of him. And we see Frodo, or so we see Sam. He's always following Frodo around. He's always right on his heels. You know, like the Council of Elrond. He's right there, even though he's not invited, because he's taken it upon himself to to be that guy. And I feel like that's, uh, I you know, I don't want to call it the ultimate form of friendship, but maybe for Sam it is. Mm-hmm. This is how he exhibits his absolute loyalty, his absolute friendship. Yeah, like I told you, that Sam is quickly becoming my favorite character just because he is the most selfless, for the most part. The, the character who really... I, I've, I've argued with myself, who has the bigger burden? I mean, Frodo or Sam? be the ring bearer or to be the bearer of the ring bearer mm. because a lot of times sam is having to carry frodo for or you know right now it's not too bad but I, i'm sure as we go along it'll get worse where sam is having to kind of push frodo along a little bit more yep and you know i think the the strength of sam is something to be admired agreed that's a point that i'm sure we'll come back to um, well, good. I, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to cover uh, in this cast. Did we get to everything you wanted to? I believe so. It's time Sweet. to get out of this mountain. Uh, indeed. 
It's all dank. Um, let's go to Lothlorien, shall we? Why not? Yeah, why not? Let's go and then let's leave because I hear it's pretty dank there too. <laughs> Sweet. All right. We will see you in Lothlorien. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.